Our sermon this evening is based on Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is the word of the Lord. Let's start with a prayer. Lord, these ashes are an uncomfortable reminder of my own mortality. Give me courage to face it, and then give me faith to see these ashes on you because you took my humanity and faced my mortality and died my death so that I could live. Amen. You know, I wasn't going to mention it, that in addition to Ash Wednesday, it's also Valentine's Day. And I wasn't going to mention it because it didn't seem all that relevant to me that, that a holiday celebrating romantic love should happen to fall on the same day that we pause to take a sobering look at our sin and our own death. But then I came across this poem that C.S. Lewis wrote for his wife, Joy Davidman. They were only married for roughly four years uh, because even before they were married, she had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And the poem that he wrote for her, he wrote for her tombstone. Here, the whole world, stars, water, air, and field and forest, as they were reflected in a single mind, like cast-off clothes was left behind in ashes, yet with hopes that she, reborn from holy poverty in Lenten lands hereafter, may resume them on her Easter day. So it turns out that it couldn't be more relevant because death has this tendency to interrupt even the things that we think should last a while. It's right there in the vows, right? How long are we supposed to stay together until death parts us? So I suppose it's appropriate if Ash Wednesday is getting in the way of your Valentine's Day plans. Because death is like that. It's rude. And it's disruptive. And it absolutely refuses to accommodate our plans. And our text for this evening is a portion of another poem. We usually call it a song. It's the fourth servant song of Isaiah. Sometimes we refer to it just as Isaiah 53, but you should know it actually begins the last three verses of Isaiah 52. And this poem wasn't written after a death. It was written before one, roughly 700 years before Jesus was crucified. It's going to be our focus for all six of these midweek services. And the reason it takes so much time on this one chapter, this one poem, this one song is because there's really nothing else like it. There is nothing else like it in the entire Bible. You know how some Bibles have Jesus' words printed in red ink? Martin Luther said that this part of the Bible, that these words should be printed in gold. When Tim Keller preached on Isaiah 53 to his own congregation, he told them to mentally take off their shoes because this is holy ground. And so we approach this with a heightened sense of reverence because nowhere else in the Bible is there a clearer teaching about what happened on the cross. But you should know something else about this, that it's considered one of the most shocking and controversial texts in the entire Old Testament. And people have been actually arguing about this for centuries 
Now, I know that it's familiar enough that if I were to read this whole thing to you right now, you would be like, yes, obviously that's about Jesus. But the reason people have argued about that is because it seems to contradict just about everything that was said about the Messiah that came before. See, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way back in the Starting in the third chapter of Genesis, there had been prophecies about the one who would come to crush the serpent's head, to put enmity back where it belongs. Enmity means hatred. To put it back where it belongs, not between people and God, but between people and the serpent, Satan, so that in between us and God, there's nothing but peace. And how's God going to accomplish it? Isaiah tells us that Isaiah would send his servant one who would accomplish his will, one who would bring justice and end violence and crush our enemies. And in the middle section of the book of Isaiah, the servant shows up. But instead of bringing justice, he himself becomes the victim of injustice. And instead of ending violence, he himself is violently killed. And instead of crushing our enemies, he was crushed. Who has believed our message? In other words, who could possibly believe this? That the servant of God is going to be suffering this way. That this is the arm of the Lord. You know, it would have made a lot more sense if the power of the Lord had been revealed like it was revealed against Egypt. That's what we read before. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. See, up to this point in Isaiah, God's arm had always been revealed that way, powerfully. Chapter 48, his arm will be against the Babylonians. Chapter 51, this cry goes up to heaven. Awake, awake, arm of the Lord, clothe yourself with strength. And then in this song, Isaiah revealed how God would answer that prayer. Verse 2, he grew up before him like a tender shoot like a root out of dry ground. The Lord's servant would be like a little plant, struggling to push its way up through hard-packed dirt. That's the help that the Lord would send. He would be weak. And as the chapter goes on, we find out how much he would suffer and how much he would be humiliated and that this was how God intended to heal the brokenness of this world, to heal the brokenness of our relationship with him by sending a servant who would himself be broken. Who can believe this? that this is how the Lord would save his people. You see, the problem isn't that the Lord didn't give evidence. The same question was actually asked hundreds of years later when this prophecy came true. And when Jesus arrived on the scene and he showed that he was the one who had been promised. In our weekend services, we've been working through the gospel of John. Sign after sign after sign pointing to Jesus as the one they'd been waiting for. And then chapter 12, John writes this, Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. And then John quoted this same verse from this song in Isaiah, but he made it a prayer. Lord, who has believed our message? It seemed hopeless. You see, it wasn't just when Jesus showed his humility and his weakness that he was rejected. It was also when he displayed his power over nature and over demons and sickness and blindness and disability, even death. Still, he was rejected. So what's the real problem? John quoted from Isaiah one more time, this time from chapter 6. He has blinded their eyes 
and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. Hardness. Blindness. And, and if they came to a place where God hardened them, it means that they had first hardened themselves. They shut their eyes. They plugged their ears. This is why dust returns to dust. Because the human heart, corrupted by sin, absolutely refuses to have him. That's what these ashes are all about. They are meant to communicate something to you. You're dying. It's actually worse than that. It's not just that you're dying. It's that you deserve it. If you think that's hard to hear, believe me, it's hard to say that to you too. It's hard to tell people you love that you're going to go back into the ground. It's hard for me to, to wipe that little cross on the head of a baby. I was explaining Ash Wednesday to my son this morning, and believe me, I wanted to change the subject. But I had to say this to him, and I have to say this to you, because if we haven't understood this, then we really haven't understood anything, and we definitely haven't understood Jesus. There's a devotional book that I've mentioned before. It's, it's all about worship. It's called Our Worth to Him. It's by Mark Paustian. And he wrote this devotion on the season of Lent, and, and in it, he shared this legend that's, that's told in Switzerland. There was this rider on horseback, and he emerged from the woods and, and came out into an open clearing, except it wasn't a clearing. It was a lake, barely frozen over with a layer of snow over the top of it. And it wasn't until he reached the far shore that someone stopped him and pointed him back and told him what he had just done. And he looked back at the trail of hoof prints over the frozen lake, the trail of hoof prints that should have ended abruptly in a dark circle full of ice-cold water, but it didn't. Somehow the ice held him up, and, and so he climbed off his horse, and he fell to his knees in mixed amazement and horror, and he just wondered, how could I have been so foolish? And how am I even alive? And it wasn't until his feet were firm on the ground that he grasped just how close he had come to death. That's what we're doing here tonight. On Ash Wednesday, we take a good hard look at the situation we were in. The danger that we didn't recognize but is now past. The sin that we didn't call sin. And we have to admit, that should have been it for us. But then God the Father said to his son, instead of to us, you're going to die. And it's worse than that, actually. You're going to deserve it. Now, how is that possible? How is it possible that the sinless Son of God could be called sinful? It was because he transferred all of our sin and all of our guilt to himself so that he could pay it by being violently killed, pierced, and crushed, and even sent to hell. That was our death. He died. And so now it's with mixed amazement and horror that we see this, and the only reason we can even stand it is that because of his sacrifice for us, the danger is past. Who could believe this? 
Who could believe this, that the only way to save us was for, would be for our mighty God to become weak, for our glorious God to be humiliated, for the very source of all life to die? Who could believe that this would be the only way to save us and that God would love us enough to actually do it? Well, we believe it. Because the arm of the Lord has been revealed to us, he shows it to us as we read his word, the unbelievable cost and the unbelievable love that was willing to pay it. Today we get another assurance of this in his Holy Supper. His body that was broken and his blood that was shed, he gives it to us as a promise. A promise that we get to eat and drink to reassure us that the danger is past. In the next coming weeks, as we continue through Isaiah 53, this fourth servant song, I want you to notice something about it, how even the structure of this, of this poem perfectly reflects the structure of Lent. So the first three verses, we didn't read it today. The first three verses were before the portion that I read. The first three verses describe his success, the achievement of our suffering Savior. And what we read begins a section of nine verses that describe his humiliation, how he suffered in silence, how he was cut off from life itself and then buried. But then the last three verses describe how he fulfilled the Lord's will, how he accomplished our salvation, and how he was given the victor's reward, which he now shares with us. And so it has these mountaintops of glory, both at the beginning and at the end with this valley in between just like Lent. Because this past Sunday, historically is known as Transfiguration Sunday. That's when Jesus went up on top of a mountain and showed his glory. And now as we move down into the valley of the Lenten season where we're exposed to the gruesome details of everything he went through for us, but then it ends on the joyful mountaintop of Easter. And from the first peak, we get a glimpse of the second one so that the hope of Easter will carry us through it. So today we begin our journey through Lent, and it's also just like our journey through life, knowing that suffering will end in death, but that death will end in resurrection and life with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, the danger is past for all who are found in you. And now all that's left for us to fear is the corruption within us and the thought of being drawn away from you. Help us to see ourselves rightly and listen only to you. Amen. This message was a production of St. Marcus Lutheran Church. For similar content, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or our YouTube channel. For more information about how to support our urban gospel ministry in Milwaukee, please visit stmarcus.org.